السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد ونصلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری ویسر لي امری وحلل عقدت من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما We'll start from hadith number 51. Bab. No chapter heading has been given, but only bab has been written. Why? Is this something common in Sahih Bukhari? Yes, it is. Why does Imam Bukhari do that? What's the reason? That it is connected with the previous heading. Another reason? It is self-explanatory. There is no need for a separate chapter title. Because as we see that sometimes, Imam Bukhari, what he does is that to give the chapter heading, he writes part of the hadith or he summarizes the hadith. Like for example, the hadith that we just learned about Jibreel coming and asking about Iman, Islam and Ihsan and also Al-Musa'a. Imam Bukhari summarized the entire hadith. So sometimes Imam Bukhari would summarize it. Other times he would not give any chapter heading. Why? Because the hadith is self-explanatory. It's quite obvious which message is being given by mentioning that particular hadith. And sometimes Imam Bukhari also would write bab just to separate between uh, themes or topics, you can say. Just to create separation. So over here, he writes the hadith that حدثنا إبراهيم بن حمزة قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد عن صالح عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله أن عبد الله بن عباس أخبره عبد الله بن عباس He narrated him, he informed him. He said, أخبرني أبو سفيان. He said that Abu Sufyan informed me that أن هرقل that هرقل We have read this hadith earlier over here. Only part of that same hadith is being mentioned. That Hiraqla Kala Lahu Sa'altuka Hal Yaziduna Amyan Kusun that he said to him that I asked you whether the, those who believe in the Prophet ﷺ, are their numbers increasing or decreasing? Fazamta Annahum Yazidun, so you have claimed that indeed they are increasing. Wakadarikal Imanu Hatayatimma and likewise is Iman until it becomes complete. Meaning the followers of a particular faith, of the true faith until it becomes complete. Meaning the numbers keep increasing until the religion is complete. وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ يَرْتَدُّ أَحَدٌ سَخْطَةً لِدِينِهِ And I asked you if anyone leaves the religion after becoming upset بَعْدَ أَنْ يَدْخُلَ فِيهِ After having entered into it. I'm not going word to word because we have done this earlier. فَزَعَمْتَ أَلَّهِ So you have claimed that no. وَكَذَلِكَ الْإِيمَانُ And likewise is Iman حِينَ تُخَالِطُ بَشَاشَتُهُ الْقُلُوبُ When it gets mixed up, when it completely merges with what? The heart, meaning it completely enters the heart. لَا يَسْخَطُهُ أَحَدٌ None dislikes it ever. No one at all dislikes the true faith once it enters his heart. Once it gets absorbed into the heart. Now, why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this hadith over here? The previous topic was, the previous chapter heading was to prove that deen includes iman, islam, ihsan, as well as ilm. Isn't it so? So over here in this hadith, what do we see? That Hiraqul, he referred to iman and deen with the same thing. How? Like we see over here, وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ يَرْتَدُّ أَحَدٌ سَخْتَةً لِدِينِهِ بَعْدَ أَنْ يَدْخُلَ فِيهِ فَزَعَمْتَ أَلَّهُ وَكَذَلِكَ الْإِيمَانِ Iman. 
حين تخالط بشاشته القلوب and earlier also وكذلك الايمان so basically Imam Bukhari is trying to prove over here that iman and deen are the same thing you cannot separate them they are the same thing iman and deen go together when we think of deen what do we think of different commands different actions that we have to perform right different rulings that we have to abide by so this deen is also iman it's the same thing bab chapter fadli the excellence of who man the one who istabra'a li dinihi istabra'a what does it mean by istabra'a to seek bara'a what is bara'a disassociation innocence being free of guilt being free of crime one who is not guilty so istabra'a li dinihi is the one who saves his religion the one who protects his religion meaning he wants his deen to be free of any guilt free of any crime You understand? Meaning his own practice of the deen. He wants that to be free of any crime. In other words, he tries to, he seeks to protect his religion. And how does a person seek to protect his religion? By staying away from doubtful matters and staying away from those matters that can cause a person to slip and err. So the person who does this, who is very careful in the matters of his religion, stays away from doubtful matters and all, then this person Imam Bukhari writes, فَضْلُ Meaning, this person is excellent, that he has great virtue, he has a great rank. So, فَضْلُ مَنِ اسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِهِ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو نُعَيْمٍ حَدَّثَنَا زَكَرِيَّ عَنْ عَامِرٍ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ النُّعْمَانَ بْنَ بَشِيرٍ يَقُولُ He was saying, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ I heard the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم saying, وَالْحَرَامُ بَيِّنٌ الحلال. What is halal? How would you translate that? Lawful matters. What are they? Bayin, Meaning they're clear. And haram, prohibited matters, they're also bayin, clear. وَبَيْنَهُمَا And between the two, meaning between the halal and the haram, are what? مُشَبَّهَاتٌ Doubtful matters. And these doubtful matters, لَا يَعْلَمُهَا لا not يعلمها he knows it who does not know it كثير من الناس many among the people majority of the people do not know about what the doubtful matters however there are some people who know whether those matters are halal or haram many things it's clear it's halal everybody knows about that many things it's clear it's haram everybody knows about that But there's some things that are unclear and the majority of the people, they do not know whether it is halal or haram. They are in confusion about it. But it does not mean that there are no people who don't know about it. No, there are people who know whether it's halal or haram. So this does not mean that there are some matters which are unclear in our religion. No. In our religion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not left us in ambiguity. He has not left us in confusion. For every single problem, for every single matter, we can find guidance in the Qur'an and Sunnah. So, وَبَيْنَهُمَا مُشَبَّهَاتٌ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ فَمَنِ اتَّقَى So whoever اتَّقَى He protected himself, meaning he stayed away from. المُشَبَّهَات The doubtful matters. اِسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِهِ وَعِرْضِهِ He has protected his religion and also his honor. عِرْض, honor. وَمَنْ وَقَعَ 
and whoever waqar he falls into meaning he commits fishbuhati in the doubtful matters then he is kara'in like a shepherd which kind of shepherd yara he takes his animals to pasture to graze where hawla around alhima what is alhima private property so he is like a shepherd who is taking his animals to graze around a private property yushiku it is quite possible an yuwaqi'ahu that he will actually fall into it that he will go into it in other words he will trespass ala unquestionably wa inna and indeed likulli malikin for every king for every owner is what hima a hima a private property ala unquestionably inna himallahi indeed the private property of allah fi ardihi in his earth in his land is what maharimuhu his prohibitions meaning those matters which allah has made haram ala unquestionably wa inna and indeed fil jasadi in the body mudghatan a piece of flesh idha salahat when it is good then salahal jasadu then the body is good kulluhu all of it wa idha and when fasadat it gets corrupted then fasadal jasadu then the body gets corrupted kulluhu all of it ala unquestionably wa and here it is alqalb the heart so you see the context of this hadith many of us have heard this hadith about the heart isn't it but we see where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said it right in relation to which other statement what do we see in this hadith we see that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that alhalalu bayyin wal haramu bayyin that commands in our religion are mainly of two types matters that are halal and matters that are haram things that we are supposed to do and things that we are supposed to stay away from and with regards to halal and haram there is absolutely no unclarity there is no ambiguity for example in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa ahallallahu albay'a wa harrama arriba similarly harrimat alaykum ummahatukum wa banatukum and then at the end wa uhilla lakum ma wara'a dhalikum So there are many places in the Quran and Sunnah where we see the words halal, where we see the words haram. With regards to those matters, it's very obvious. Halal, you can do it. And haram, you have to stay away from it. Halal is to be done and haram is to be abstained. Both of them are clear. However, there are some matters about which the words halal and haram have not been used clearly. And we see that as times change as things change right as societies change as muslims their situation changes depending on where they are how they are then new matters come up new issues come up isn't it so which were not a cause of concern at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at the time of the sahaba but they are a cause of concern today if they were a cause of concern at that time clear guidance would have been given this is halal or this is haram However what happens as time goes by situations change more and more problems come up so with regards to them we don't have clear statements in the Quran and Sunnah whether they are halal or haram can you think of an example huh for example machine slaughter machines did not exist at that time cloning okay 
buying houses on mortgage okay photos taking pictures with a camera i mean drawing is different taking pictures with a camera is different for example plastic surgery for the purpose of beautification so anyway there are many things that have come up today and we don't see any clear statement about it in the quran and sunnah whether it is halal or haram okay so these matters what are they the mushtabihat the mushabbahat what are they the doubtful matters it's from the word shin baha those matters which are doubtful you can think of it this way white black and in the middle there is gray so there are some matters which are you can say the gray area and they are a cause of confusion or people are in confusion about it and we see that the masses as the hadith tells us the majority of the people they are in confusion about it why are they in confusion about these matters a due to naqsul ilm lack of knowledge due to lack of knowledge okay for example they don't know what the quran says they don't know what the sunnah says because generally we see a split in the society there are people who know about the deen don't know about the dunya people who know about the dunya don't know about the deen so this is why you're lost you're confused you don't know what to do what not to do so first of all lack of knowledge that is a big problem that is a big reason why there are so many confusions that exist today secondly qusur fil fahm deficiency in understanding or not understanding properly not understanding properly what the deen the texts of the deen or even the matters of the dunya let me give you an example this is something that's very relevant to women as well vaginal discharge that women have there is no clear statement in the quran or sunnah that tells us it's najis or if a woman has it she has to wash herself or she has to perform wudu again with regards to bleeding we know but with regards to just clear vaginal discharge there is no clear evidence in the quran and sunnah but many times people say that you have to do wudu it is najis why because it comes out of the private part and therefore you have to do wudu so lack of knowledge lack of understanding if you understand this matter properly there's a very good paper that has been thoroughly researched that is available on muslimmatters.com and i recommend all of you read it for your own clarity and understanding as well in which this sister she consulted doctors as well as scholars and then she composed it all so anyway if you ask any gynecologist any doctor what's the reason behind normal vaginal discharge there is no reason it's just like saliva in your mouth so if you understand this properly correctly is there any confusion no is it a problem no because if you understand this properly you look at the text of the quran and sunnah there is no command that tells us you have to do wudu or it nullifies wudu and especially when you understand it properly so first reason behind confusion is what naqs naqs fil ilm and secondly qusur fil fahm about the matter he eventually said you know i think this is something normal I don't think that it, there it is necessary for wudu. So I was just saying that the fact that he even though he's a scholar high like high end scholar mm-hmm. of the deen but because he didn't understand what exactly you know it's the I mean? matter that is related to women generally people don't talk about it this is why it was unknown it was unclear. So when you research it more when you study it more when you look at the medical aspect as well then things become clearer and clearer. Then the third reason behind confusion behind these ambiguities is su'ul irada evil intention what does it mean by that that people use the texts of the quran 
of the sunnah. Why? To suit their own desires. They will interpret according to their own bias. And if even sometimes we see that clear texts of the Qur'an and sunnah are there, they will turn away from it. For example, we see that matters that are very clear and obvious. For example, when it comes to praying the salah, is there any difference between the salah of men and women except for hijab? No. There is no difference. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, Sallu, kama ra'aytamuni usalli. Isn't it? And the Sahaba, they narrated how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. And there's so many ahadith which tell us about how he prayed. Which tells us that there is no difference between the salah of men and women. However, if you go into certain schools of thought, they will say, for example, a woman has to do sajda in this way. A woman has to stand in this way. She has to bend in this way. What's the evidence for it? What's the dalil for it? And are there not other evidences that contradict that? Of course there are, but they will not go for those evidences. Why? Because it does not suit their desires. So they will disregard that dalil. They will disregard that evidence. And then people are in confusion. Okay, tell me, how am I supposed to pray? So what does it tell us? To get out of confusion, what do we need to do? Gain more knowledge, increase in our understanding. Isn't it so? And look at the texts of the Qur'an and Sunnah with an open heart, with an open mind, not with our bias. Because the one who has a right intention, has a sincere intention, and he strives, he puts an effort, then he will reach the truth. He will find the truth. He will reach it. And even if his final decision on what he's going to do, even if it's incorrect, he will get the reward for his ijtihad. So the solution to dealing with these problems is what? That we gain knowledge, understanding, and also open up our minds and hearts. And we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma adina al-haqqa, haqqan warzuqna tiba'a, wa adina al-batila batilan, warzuqna jtinaba. So what does this hadith tell us? Halal is clear, haram is clear, between them are matters that are ambiguous, unclear, which are unclear to who? Majority of the people. But this shows that they are not unclear to some people. And those some people are who? Those who have been given knowledge, who have been given faham, and who look at the text of the Qur'an and Sunnah with an open heart and mind. But the general rule is that as long as you are in confusion, okay, as long as you are in confusion, you are unclear, what are you supposed to do? The hadith tells us, stay away from doubtful matters. As long as you're in confusion, you're researching, you're trying to figure out, is it okay, is it not okay? What should you do then? Play safe. Better be safe than sorry. Okay? So the hadith tells us that, فَمَنِ اتَّقَ الْمُشَبَّهَاتِ إِسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِهِ وَعِضِهِ The one who stays away from these doubtful matters, he will protect his religion and also his honor. His religion, how will he protect it? Meaning he will be good in his religion in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will protect his honor, preserve it. How? That he will be good in the sight of who? People. People will also consider him righteous. So he is such a person who will protect his religion as well as his honor before Allah and also before people. Woman And whoever falls in the shubuhat, whoever commits the shubhat, indulges in them, then he is like what? Like a shepherd who is grazing very close to or around the private property of someone else. Hmm? What does this show to us? The Prophet ﷺ is giving us an example over here so that we can understand what it means by indulging in doubtful matters. That when a person is indulging in doubtful matters, he will end up committing 
haram. He will end up committing that which is prohibited. It will lead him to haram. He is more likely to commit the haram. If you think about it, what is a hima? Hima is what? Private property. And this word is actually used for the a piece of land which is more green, more lush, okay, much better compared to the area that is around it. However, this piece of land is somebody else's private property and they have also put a fence around it. Why? So that other people know this is private, we're not allowed to enter it. We're not allowed to go into it. How is this piece of land different from the rest of the area? It is more lush, it is more green, it is much better. So if a shepherd takes his animals around the hima, what's going to happen? The animals are going to go into the hima as well. You cannot control them then. Isn't it? You know that you're not supposed to enter, but do your animals know? No. And especially if they're grazing right around the border, then they're definitely going to end up eating something from inside the hima as well, even if they don't enter it. Because animals, they can do that. They can just stand on the border and, you know, stretch out their necks and pick on whatever they want, whatever is accessible. So this will happen. So similarly, the maharim, those actions that are prohibited, what are they? Like the private property of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're not allowed to enter. We're not allowed to trespass. If we go near it, if we go around it, then we are more likely to enter it, to fall into it. So it's best that a person stays away from doubtful matters and stays away from the haram as well. Question. The private property of somebody, if another person trespasses it, if a person enters it and abuses it, will he be prosecuted? Of course he will be. If he is caught, he will definitely be prosecuted. So if a person indulges in haram, is he punishable then? Yes, he is. Similarly, if you look at the hima, it is more attractive. Why? Because it is more green, it is more lush. The rest of the area, it is not as attractive. If you think about it, the hima is smaller compared to the entire area around it. But what does the shaitan do? What does our nafs do? It makes the hima, the maharim, more attractive. Even if they're not. But shaitan makes it more attractive. So even though everything else is permissible for us, what do we want? That which is prohibited. This is just like in Jannah, Adam salam was told, وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا وَلَا تَقَرَبَا هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ Eat whatever you want, whenever, how much ever, no restrictions, you're free. However, don't eat of this one tree. That's it, that's the only restriction you have. But what did shaitan do? He made him eat of that tree. So this is exactly how the deen is. Majority of the things are halal, only a few are haram, but the nafs, the shaitan, they make that haram attractive. But when a person indulges in it, when a person enters in it, then he will be prosecuted. This is trespassing. This is prohibited. This is not allowed. If there is a matter that is of confusion, right? you don't know whether it's okay or not. You are in confusion. You are unclear about it. What are you supposed to do? Remain in that confusion? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Find out, investigate, especially if it is of concern to you. Like for example, you're a young person, you're not going to buy a house, you're not going to do anything with you know, RESP funds and all. Okay, it's not of concern to you. But when you get of that age, then don't just walk into it. No, before you go into it, research, investigate, find out. 
and be sure about it. Don't just say, oh, my parents did it, so I'm going to do it as well. I know that uncle does it, so I'm going to do it as well. No. You know that generally people are in confusion about it? So find out, investigate before going into it. And once you find an evidence, once you find a dalil, then you are obligated to stick to it. You understand? Once somebody clarifies it to you based on some evidence and it makes sense to you, then you are supposed to adhere to that. You're not going to say, oh, I'm going to remain in confusion. No. Scholars have differences of opinion, especially with regards to modern day problems and issues, isn't it? And the thing is that you ask two people, they will give different opinions about it. So what are you supposed to do? Do nothing? But what if it's of great concern to you? You evaluate both of them and you go for the evidences that they have, whichever one makes more sense to you. And besides, istafti qalbak, right? Ask your heart and then adhere to that opinion. Don't pick and choose because this is what people do. They will go to one scholar. If it suits them, they will take that. If they don't like it, they will go to another just to get a yes from him. This is incorrect. That, for example, when it comes to moon sighting, causes a lot of confusion, a lot of concern amongst Muslims. So what are you supposed to do? Celebrate Eid both days? You can't do that. Don't celebrate Eid at all? You can't do that either. You have to make up your mind. Do your research. Okay? And whatever satisfies you, whatever makes you more sure, stick to that opinion. Stay with that. However, respect other people as well. I think that we learned that the deen is easy. But we like to stay, we like to burden ourselves by staying in doubt. Like this wudu example. You know, you burden yourself by doing wudu and wudu until like shaitan plays on it and you don't feel like praying because you have to do wudu every time. So shaitan really plays on this doubt until it clears. And then it leads to khiyana as well. Cheating yourself. I was saying like heart is the high-tech laboratory diagnostic center. You just, you know, when the patient goes and they say, okay, we have to do the test. So you give the message to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ask him. And they believe me, the result will, the heart will tell you. You know, the laboratory will tell you and it will tell you everything. Yes. And you will be satisfied by this diagnostic, whatever yes. the diagnosis has been done. Yes. And the thing is, we have been told about so many ways. I mean, do istikhara. Repeatedly make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do research, find out, and you will reach there someday. The hadith, da'ma yuribuk, ila ma la yuribuk, to leave what doubts you towards what doesn't doubt you. Exactly. So that really gives you comfort, peace of mind. Yes. However, if there is fatwa that is based on some evidence, then you can also take that. But not just because it suits your desires, not because of your bias, no. I remember when we recently attended this session about fake of women, then uh, at the end some of the sisters, they came to me and they said that, you know, we studied about uh, doing uh, mass of our head inside and not remove the scarf while the sheikh said that, okay, you can do it over the scarf. So I, I used the same judgment. It's like, okay, removing it is clear that Prophet ﷺ and his sahaba, they, rem- they were allowed to do this, but the women, we don't know if they were allowed to do this. So that is the safest opinion, but if you're taking this sheikh's opinion... It's your call. And you see, there are different situations as well. For example, if you are in a situation where it is possible for you to remove your hijab, I mean, go ahead. But if you are in a public place, sometimes even if you go for hajj, you are staying in Muzalifa at night and you go to perform wudu, it's open. You know that? It's open. You're going to take off your hijab over there? No. So what are you going to do then? Do it from above or at least touch a little bit of your hair from the front, how much ever you can reach. But don't go on removing your hijab and performing... The must. So 
you see these different opinions sometimes they are also helpful in this way don't just follow blindly use your mind use your mind remember in the quran we learned that about fasting that during the night of the fasting initially the sahaba were not allowed to eat or drink or have marital relations if they slept after iftar so what happened some of them they did it and other people they didn't do it they remained in confusion so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said alimullahu annakum that you were doing khiyana with yourself. So don't remain in this confusion. Because if you're doing that, you're doing khiyana with yourself. What are you supposed to do? Go and find out. Yes, alunaka. Yes, alunaka. Find out. Investigate. Ask. Research. Ask those who know. Use your mind. This is what we're supposed to do. You see, sincerity. This is the key. And this is what will save a person, even if he makes a mistake. The right intention. Just before we continue, I want you to see a picture of Hima. That how a Hima is, especially in the desert. And um, my mother, she was, she was traveling through the desert and she saw how certain animals were in Hima. Right? They were just in a fenced area. So she sent this picture with وَإِنَّ لِكُلِّ مَلِكٍ Hima أَلَا وَإِنَّ حِمَ اللَّهِ فِي أَرْضِهِ مَحَارِمُهُ And we see that the animals, they are so respectful of the borders. That if they are in a hima, they will stay, they will not come out. And if they're outside, they will not go in. Many times the animals are very respectful. Do you see these camels and around them? Do you see the fence? Yeah, it's just wire basically. And inside you see a few green plants. You see them? And around, in the distance and before that, you don't see any plants. There are only a few. But we see that, that camels are within that hima, within that boundary. And if you look, Who's taller? The camels or the boundary? The camels are. But still they're not trespassing. And if they do trespass, there is a problem. So the Prophet ﷺ said that, أَلَا وَإِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَةً إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ That indeed in the body is a piece of flesh. When it is good, the entire body is good. And when it is corrupted, then the entire body is corrupted. And what is that piece of flesh? It is the heart. So you have to ask your heart when you are in doubt, when there is confusion, that what am I supposed to do? Hmm? Just because somebody is telling me to do something or not do something, should I follow them? Does it make sense to me? Am I comfortable with this? Because the stronger the iman is of a person, hmm, the more guided his heart is. And the more guided his heart is, the more correct decisions a person will make in whatever he will do. Sometimes it happens. That we are in a dilemma. We don't know whether we should follow what other people are telling us or what we know. Isn't it? But then we tell ourselves, you know what my mother is telling me or my relatives are telling me, forget about it, I'll just listen to them. The other day this girl came up to me, she said that when she was getting married, she used to wear hijab at that time, but you know, everybody told her this is your wedding day, it doesn't matter, forget about it, forget the hijab, it's okay, it's only one day, no big deal. And you only become a bride once. So she said she took it off. Just for that day. And people comforted her that, you know, at least your head is covered with the butta. Covered, yes it is, but there's so much tabarraj over there. So anyway, she was, she took it off for that day and there were photographs that were taken by her photographer and also friends and family members. And she said she continued wearing her hijab afterwards. However, her pictures are online on different people's, you know, Facebook accounts and so on and so forth. And she's asked them so many times to take them off, but they don't take them off. And they're open to the public. So she was asking, what am I supposed to do? So at this time, at this situation, what should you do? Follow what other people are telling you or follow your heart? Hmm? 
after learning and after doing something right, you should stick to it, even if other people are telling you otherwise. So you have to ask your heart. You're not doing something out of fear. You're doing out of love. You're so much conscious. You don't have to ask. Yes. This is the level of ihsan yes. that you yourself is mahasih. And if that is your state in everything that you're doing, then you will be careful. So with regard to the heart, we learn in this statement that it is the center of what? The body and the soul. It is the mukh, it is the basis, it is the essence of the body and the soul. Because if the heart is good, the entire body is good. If the heart is corrupt, the entire body is corrupt. And if you think about it, the health of the physical body, what does that depend on? The heart. And the health of your soul also, what does that depend on? The heart. We have to be very, very appropriate in the way that we approach other people when we see them doing something that we don't agree with necessarily. You follow a particular opinion, they follow a different opinion. And if you want to tell them about yours, then tell them in a nice way. Tell them in a respectful way. Don't come down on them. Don't start attacking them. Because when we start attacking them, then what happens is that people become defensive. And even if they agree with what you're saying, they're not going to accept. And they're going to get completely turned off. They're not going to come at all. They're not going to listen at all. Iman increases and decreases. Think about it right now. You may be experiencing increase in Iman. Think about the time when you were experiencing a decrease in Iman. So you were also there one day. And imagine if somebody looked down upon you the way you are looking down upon others today. How would you feel? So we should also remain humble and not become arrogant about the knowledge that we have learned. So with regards to the heart, the statement tells us that it's the center of your body, it's the center of your soul. The heart is what thinks, the heart is on what the entire body depends on. This also shows to us that when the heart decides something, when you decide to do something in your heart, then your body will follow. Whatever is in the heart, the entire body is going to get affected by it. If it's good stuff, the body will be good. What does it mean? That whatever is in the heart will also come out on the jawarih, on the lisan. Because many times people say with a lot of emphasis, At-taqwa ha-huna, at-taqwa ha-huna. That I'm just supposed to have taqwa in my heart and whatever I do in my actions, you don't have any business with that. I have fear of Allah, you don't see that in my heart. But the fact is that if taqwa is ha-huna, then it should also be ha-huna. She said it is in the fitrah of the human being. In everybody there is a light and right away it clicks for the green. If you ignore it, it turns into the red. Means yeah. Then you deviate. So if you consider it, you're successful. So it's in all of us, you can see what is right. You can direct right away. But if you ignore it, you're gone. Yes, very true. So if the heart is good, the entire body is good. Meaning if the heart is correct, if your heart is sincere, if in your heart you have fear, then your body, your limbs will also follow. And then, you know, when, when you die, the f- heart is the first organ. And if it stops working, then the rest of the body will follow. The first one, the first organ that's made, that starts to function, right? And the rest of the body follows. If the heart does not pump, the rest of the body will not grow. And once the heart stops, the rest of the body will also stop. If it continues, the rest of the body will also continue. The facade of the heart, that if the heart is corrupted with ill intention, with bias, with desires, with marad, the diseases of the heart, which are shubuhat and shahawat. So if the heart is corrupted, then the rest of the body will also follow. For example, if you have good feelings for a person, will it show in your actions? Yes. But if you have bad feelings, will that show? Yes. 
If you have khushur in your heart, meaning in your heart you have fear of Allah, will your body will also focus? Yes. But if the fear is not in the heart, then can the rest of the body follow? It cannot. So this is applicable in every situation, in everything. Let's continue. Bab ada'ul khumusi min al-iman. Paying the khumus is part of iman. What is al-khumus? The one-fifth. The one-fifth portion of the war booty. We have learned about it in Surah Al-Anfal. Can you open up? Find the ayah in which the distribution of the Anfal is mentioned. How it is to be distributed. Yes. Recite the ayah properly. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا غَنِمْتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَأَنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُسَهُ وَلِلرَّسُولِ وَلِلرَّسُولِ وَلِذِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ آمَنْتُمْ بِاللَّهِ وَمَا أَنْزَلْنَا وَمَا أَنْزَلْنَا عَلَى عَبْدِنَا يَوْمَ الْفُرْقَانِ يَوْمَ الْتَقَلْ جَمْعًا وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ So in this ayah we are told about the distribution of war booty, right? That the four parts go to who? The soldiers. And the fifth, who does that go to? Allah and His Messenger. And who? So giving the khumus, this is what? A part of iman. This is also a sign of iman. What's the hadith for that? حدثنا علي بن الجعدي قال أخبرنا شعبة عن أبي جمرة قال كنت أقعد مع ابن عباس أبو جمرة He said that كنت أقعد I used to sit مع ابن عباس with ابن عباس رضي الله عنه Why? Why do you think somebody would sit with Ibn Abbas to learn from him, to study from him? So I used to sit with Ibn Abbas and yujlisuni. He would make me sit ala saririhi, upon his own chair, his own sitting place. What does it show? That Ibn Abbas would favor the student of his by the name of Abu Jamra. فَقَالَ So he said, meaning one day, Ibn Abbas said to me, that أَقِمْ عِنْدِي Stay with me. Stay with me, حَتَّى until أَجْعَلَ I make لَكَ for you سَهْمًا A portion مِمْ مَالِي From my wealth. Stay with me until I give you a portion of my wealth. فَأَقَمْتُ مَعْهُ So I stayed with him شَهْرَيْنِ For two months. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, إِنَّ Indeed وَفْدَ the delegation of Abdul Qais of Abdul Qais. Lama when Atawun Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Qala he said, Manil qawmu, who are these people? Aw or Manil wafdu, who is this delegation? Meaning, who are these people? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked them that who are you? Meaning, where are you from? Which tribe are you? Qalu, they replied, Rabi'atu, Rabi'ah, meaning the tribe of Rabi'ah. Qala, Prophet ﷺ said, Marhaban, welcome, bilqawm, with the people, aw bilwafdi, or the delegation, meaning welcome, o you qawm, or o you delegation. Ghayra khazaya, wala nadama. Khazaya, ones who are humiliated. Nadama, ones who regret. So welcome, may you not suffer any humiliation. May you not suffer any regret. 
meaning you're welcome here. May your stay be very good. This is a way of welcoming people. فَقَالُوا So they said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah, إِنَّا Indeed we, لَا نَسْتَطِيعُ We are not capable of. أَنَّأْتِيَكَ That we come to you. We are not capable, we are not able to come to you regularly. إِلَّا Except فِي شَهْرِ الْحَرَامِ In the sacred month. We are only able to come to you in the sacred month. وَبَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكَ And between us and between you, هَذَا الْحَيُّ This tribe مِنْ كُفَّارِ مُضَرْ Of the disbelievers of Mudar. Meaning this tribe of Mudar is between us and you. They are in the middle. They prevent us from coming. Or they make it difficult for us to come to you. فَمُرْنَا So command us بِأَمْرٍ With a command فَصْلٍ Clear. Meaning give us clear instructions. نُخْبِرْ بِهِ we inform of it, man who wara'ana behind us. Give us clear instructions that we can go and tell people who are back home. وَنَدُخُلْ بِهِ الْجَنَّةَ And we can enter Jannah through it. Meaning tell us clear commands, we can just follow them. Simple things so that we can enter Jannah through them. وَسَأَلُوهُ And they asked him, عَنِ الْأَشْرِبَةِ About certain drinks. So they asked him about clear commands and they also asked him about the drinks. فَأَمَرَهُمْ So he commanded them بِأَرْبَعٍ With four. He told them to do four things. وَنَهَاهُمْ And he forbade them عَنْ أَرْبَعٍ From four things. أَمَرَهُمْ He commanded them بِالْإِيمَانِ بِاللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ He commanded them to have iman in Allah alone. And when he commanded them بِالْإِيمَانِ بِاللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ قَالَ He said أَتَدَرُونَ Do you all know? Are you all aware? مَا الْإِيمَانُ بِاللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ What is iman in Allah alone? Do you know what it is to believe in Allah alone? قَالُوا They replied, اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَعْلَمُ Allah and His Messenger know best. قَالَ He said, شَهَادَةُ Bearing witness, أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That there is no God worthy of worship but Allah وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And that Muhammad wasallam is the Messenger of Allah. وَإِقَامُ الصَّلَاةِ and establishing the salah, وَإِتَاءُ الزَّكَاةِ And giving the zakah, وَصِيَامُ رَمَضَان And fasting in the month of Ramadan, وَأَن تُعْطُوا And that you all give, min from المغنمي, the war booty. How much should you give? الخمس, the one-fifth. This is what iman is. وَنَهَاهُمْ And he also forbade them عَنْ أَرْبَعٍ From four things. And what is it that he forbade them from? عَنِ الْحَنْتَمِ from the hantam, wal-dubba'i, and the dubba' wal-naqiri, and the naqir, wal-mazaffati, and the mazaffa, wa-rubbama, and perhaps, qala he said, al-muqayyir, the muqayyir. So, mazaffat and muqayyir, what are they? The same thing. Wa-qala, and he said, ihfaduhunna, memorize them, meaning memorize the things that I've taught you. Wa-akhbiru, and inform bihinna with them, man wara'akum, those who are behind you. Meaning, memorize these things that I've told you, and tell the people back home about them as well. Now in this hadith, what has been mentioned? That the Prophet ﷺ commanded them four things. The first thing that he commanded them was what? Iman billah. And then the Prophet ﷺ explained what? Iman was. Are the rest of the three things mentioned in this version? They're not mentioned over here. Do you see the hadith? Amarahum bi arba. What were those four things? Only one is mentioned. Iman billahi wa rasuli. The rest are not mentioned. The things that he forbade them from, they are mentioned over here. What do we see in this hadith? That Abu Jamrah, he is narrating this hadith from who? Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. And Abu Jamrah was a student of Ibn Abbas. 
And we see that the way Ibn Abbas treated him, that he would make him sit on his sarir, right next to him, in other words. He would make him sit right next to him. And then he also asked him to stay with him. And he also offered to give him money to sponsor him for something. What does it show? That Ibn Abbas liked Abu Jamrah a lot. He gave him a lot of importance. He gave him special attention. Why? Because he must have seen some potential in him. He must have seen some something good in him. This is why he gave him all that importance. What does this show to us? That a teacher may give special attention to a student if he sees potential in him. And if he does so, this is not favoritism, like we call it. If ever a particular student is being favored by a teacher, we become very upset. This is favoritism, this is bias, this is not fair. No. If the teacher is preferring a certain student, there is a reason behind that. There has to be a reason behind that. So other people should not feel envious. And why is it that the teacher would prefer the student? Why would he give him special attention? Why? Just because he has good qualities, but why is he giving him extra attention? Because he knows he can excel, right? This is to encourage him, to make him go forward. Because if he does not encourage him, does not give special attention to him, that talent, that ability could be wasted. It could be lost. And that person becomes a sadaqah jariya for him. Now, any person who has knowledge, what do they want? That they pass it on to other people so that the work continues. Isn't it? And with their death, when they're gone, the knowledge is not gone. Rather, it continues. So Ibn Abbas also, he gave special attention to Abu Jamrah because of this reason. He wanted him to learn from him so that he could pass it on. He saw potential in him. And if ever a student is preferred by his teacher, he should not become proud of himself. Okay? Rather, he should be grateful for this fadl of Allah that yu'tihi man yasha. It's not given to everybody. It's only given to some people. And if a person has been given that, then he should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where other people are not to be envious, the student who is being favored should also not become proud. And at the same time, he should also be careful about what he says, what he does, because it might you know, instill bad feelings, ill feelings in other people. And besides that, the student, if he is being given special attention by the teacher, then the student should also make himself available. These days what has happened is that teachers are chasing the students. Please do this, please do this. Why? Because they see some potential in the student. But what does the student do? They're too busy, they're too distracted. They have other priorities. They want to do something else. If the teacher is giving attention to you, take, you know, make use of that attention. Make use of that opportunity. Don't waste that opportunity. Because it's a huge favor. So where the teacher is making themselves available, we should also make ourselves available and not lose that chance. So we see here that Ibn Abbas, he would make him sit right next to him and then he also asked him to stay with him. Why did Ibn Abbas ask him to stay with him? Because he said, stay with me, perhaps I can give you a portion of my wealth. Why did he do that? It is possible that Abu Jamra desired to go for jihad and he could not afford to do so. So Ibn Abbas said that you stay with me and whatever money I will get, I will give you some so that you can go for jihad. So in other words, he offered to sponsor him. He offered to take care of his finances, his expenses. So if our expenses are being taken care of, then what should we do? Waste that time? No. Take use of that opportunity, grab that opportunity, and learn the best that you can. Because many times it happens that students are sponsored fully or, you know, partly. But what do they do? 
They're very casual in their studies. Very casual. This is not the right way. If an opportunity has been given to us, the headache has been taken away from us, then we should spend our night and day in learning. Make use of that opportunity. So Ibn Abbas offered him, and Abu Jamrah, he took that offer. He accepted that offer. And he stayed with Ibn Abbas for two months. For two months he stayed. And then he said, after two months, Ibn Abbas taught me this hadith. It wasn't that those two months Ibn Abbas didn't teach him anything, no. He just remembered that after two months, he narrated this hadith. And what was this hadith? It was the one about the waft of Abdul Qais. This hadith, Imam Bukhari referred to it earlier as well. Where? In the chapter of Iman, Islam and Ihsan, the hadith of Jibreel. So he referred to that, this hadith as well. And why did he refer to it? To show that Iman includes what? Islam or Iman, Islam, Ihsan, all of them together are deen. So we see here that this waft came. What is a waft? Waft is a delegation, a group of people that have been sent. A delegation, a group of people that have been sent. And this was a delegation sent by who? Abdul Qais. This is why it's called the waft of Abdul Qais. Abdul Qais was a person. He sent this delegation to the Prophet ﷺ. And when these people came to the Prophet ﷺ, he asked about who they were. Why did he ask as to who those people were? Why did he ask about their tribe, where they had come from? Why? Is it important to know about the people who are in front of you? Yes. Because if you know them, only then you can treat them accordingly, in the way that is appropriate. The Prophet ﷺ said, أَنزِلُ nasa manazilahum." People in their appropriate positions, meaning treat them according to who they are, according to their status. For example, if there is a faqeer, if there is a poor person, he doesn't know how to eat with a fork and knife. He doesn't know how to you know, wear a napkin around his neck. Or he doesn't have the proper etiquette of eating a particular kind of food. I mean, are you going to serve that food to him and embarrass him? Should you do that? No. Similarly, if there is a person who is well off and you know that, you know, they know about the different types of cuisines and they eat a certain type of food, then what should you do? Just give them plain bread? No. Anzilun nasa manazilahum. Treat people according to their position. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ would ask about who those people were. And that's another reason that they had come to learn the deen. And the Prophet ﷺ inquired about who they were so that he could teach them accordingly. If there is a person who is knowledgeable already, then what do you tell them? What do you teach them? Basics? No. You teach them about higher level stuff, more academic stuff, more advanced stuff. But if a person does not even know the basics, then what are you supposed to teach them? The basics. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ would ask about the people who came to visit him. And this is an etiquette that we must also adopt. That when we're talking to people, be familiar with them. See who they are. Give relevant examples. Give them information that they can actually benefit from. Not information that is completely irrelevant. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ welcomed them in a very warm way. In a very good way. And we see that Rabi'ah, the tribe of Rabi'ah, after they introduced themselves, they said, they complained about the tribe of Mudar. That these people are between us and you, and these people are disbelievers, and they prevent us from coming. This is why it's not possible for us to come to you, except in the sacred months. We see that the tribes of Rabi'ah and Mudar, they were at war. Rabi'ah had become Muslim, and Mudar were still disbelievers. And whenever Rabi'ah would travel towards Medina, the Mudar tribe would be on their way. 
So since they were on their way, they would attack them. So this is why it was very difficult for the tribe of Rabi'ah to come visit the Prophet ﷺ regularly. So this time when they came, they asked him for clear instructions that please tell us everything that is necessary for us to know through which we can enter Jannah. And they said that we can only come in the sacred month. Why? Because in the sacred months, would the mushrikeen fight? No, they would not fight. Even the disbelievers amongst them, they had great respect for the sacred months and they would not fight at all. So when they asked the Prophet ﷺ, what did he teach them? The basics of the deen. And what are they? Iman. He asked them, do you know what it means to have Iman Billahi wa Rasuli? That what it means to have Iman Billahi wahtahu. Right? He asked them. And then he explained to them what Iman was. How did he explain Iman? How? What did he say? That it is to have Iman and secondly, pray salah and then give zakat and fast and give the fifth of the war booty. So in other words, he explained Iman with Islam. He explained Iman with Islam. And amongst the things that he mentioned was also giving the fifth of the war booty. And this is the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this over here. Now with regards to giving the khumus, who is it given to? It's given to the amir, it's given to the leader. And what does he do with it? He uses it to spend on the general needs of the community. As we can see in the verse of Surah Al-Anfal, Ayah 41, that فَإِنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُوسَهُ وَلِلْرَسُولِ وَلِذِ الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَبِنِ السَّبِيلِ So the general needs of the community. So handing that over, giving the one-fifth portion to the leader, this is what? A part of Iman. Because when can a person do that? When he has Iman. Okay? When he has Amana. If he does Khiyana, he will not be able to do this. And then we see that the Prophet ﷺ forbade them from four things. What four things did he forbid them from? First of all, Hantam. And besides that, they also asked about al-ashriba, drinks. Obviously, these are alcoholic beverages. So they asked the Prophet ﷺ about them, whether they're permissible or not. So he forbade them from four things. Hantam. Hantam is a vessel that was made of mud, blood, and hair. Clay, hair, and blood. They would mix it all together. And then they would make vessels out of it. So anyway, they would use that for preparing wine. Dubba. Dubba is used for a pumpkin. So, you know like a big pumpkin? The, the shell is very hard. So imagine if you take out everything from inside, it becomes like a big, huge bowl. At Halloween, what do they do? That's exactly what they do, right? And they carve out a face or something like that on it. It's like a big container then. So that also they would use to prepare wine. Naqir. Naqir is a hollow tree trunk. A hollow tree trunk. So they would use that as well to prepare wine. Muzaffat or Muqayyab, this is a vessel that is painted. Painted from outside. Decorated. So they would also use that to prepare wine. So the Prophet ﷺ forbade them from using all four of these. In other words, he forbade them from Preparing alcohol even. Forget about drinking. He forbade them from even making it. And then he told them that whatever I have told you, memorize these instructions. Know them very well. And then also go and tell other people about it. So that you can benefit and other people can also benefit. What does it show? That knowledge is not something that we are to keep with ourselves. Once we know, we should share
we should convey to who those who don't know in surah tawbah what do we learn that a group of people should dedicate themselves to learning waliyunziru qaumahum idha raj'u ilayhim and they should warn their people when they return to them so it is an obligation that once we have gained knowledge then we must convey it to other people it should be shared not kept to oneself that once we learn about something these little things that we learn we should go and share with other people and so that they can also increase in their knowledge they cannot dedicate themselves as you have dedicated yourself so you should benefit them at least you know for example what i do is that whatever interesting thing new thing that i learn about a particular hadith like for example about ihsan the two levels of ihsan was something very new and interesting and i felt that every time i was praying i was thinking about myself that is this talab or harab it would really help me correct my intention so i shared that with my husband as well and every day alhamdulillah i try my best to share you know something new that can also benefit him so we should also do the same thing whatever we have learned share it with other people because they also need to know just like we need to know they also need and if it's short and sweet it's easily digestible <laughs> they can listen easily and they can benefit from it as well let's continue bab ma jaa what has come that an al-a'mala bin-niyyah that indeed the actions are according to the intention bin-niyyati wal-hisbati what is al-hisba hisba expectation of reward we have learned about the word ihtisab many many times earlier so an al-a'mala bin-niyyati wal-hisbati actions are according to the intention and the expectation wa likulli imri'in and for every person is ma nawa what he intends What does this chapter heading tell us? That every person, whatever action he does, the reward of that action is according to the intention and the expectation. Why he's doing it, what he wants from it. وَلِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَدَخَلَ فِيهِ So included in it, included in what? He, he refers to what? That الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ وَالْحِزْبَةِ Included in this is what? الْإِمَانُ iman wal wudu and wudu was salatu was zakatu wal hajj was sawm wal ahkam al ahkam meaning all the commands of the deen so in other words for every single command of the deen from iman to the different actions that we have to perform the a'mal are according to the niyyah and the hisba when you perform wudu when you perform wudu this is an amal so the a'mal are what according to the niyyah and the hisba Similarly, when you perform salat, it's an amal. The reward will be according to niyyah and hisbah. So, فَدَخَلَ فِيهِ الْإِيمَانُ وَالْوُضُوءُ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالزَّكَاةُ وَالْحَجُّ وَالصَّوْمُ وَالْأَحْكَامُ All the ordinances, all the commands of the deen are included in this. وَقَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, قُلْ سَيَكُلُّ يَعْمَلُوا عَلَى شَاكِلَتِهِ That every person, he does work according to his shakila. Imam Bukhari explains shakila as ala niyyatihi, according to his intention. So every person, whatever he is doing, he is doing it based on some intention. And the reward will be according to that intention. وَنَفَقَةُ الرَّجُلِ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ يَحْتَسِبُهَا صَدَقَ He's quoting a part of hadith over here which he will mention later. That even when a person spends on who? عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ on his family. He expects reward for it, then that is in fact a sadaqah. So every, every cent, every penny that a person spends on his family, then hoping for reward from it, 
then that action even, that expenditure even is a sadaqah. So in other words, spending is an act. If he does it with the right niyyah and also hisbah, then he will get reward for it. وَقَالَ And he said, meaning the Prophet ﷺ has also said, وَلَكِنْ جِهَادٌ وَنِيَّةٌ But jihad and niyyah. This is also part of a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said that there is no hijrah after today. Okay? Meaning a person cannot gain the same reward like the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba gained by their hijrah at that time. No person can reach that level of reward. However, he can reach the same level, how? By jihad and by niyyah. By intention. Hmm? So, over here, Imam Bukhari is mentioning the importance of the correct intention and how that is also necessary for our actions to be acceptable, for our actions to be rewardable. And that every action can become righteous if done with the right intention. Obviously, the right way is also necessary. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Maslamata Qala akhbarana malikun An Yahya ibn Sa'idin An Muhammad ibn Ibrahima عن علقمة بن وقاص عن عمر أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الأعمال بالنية The actions are according to the intention ولكل امرئ ما نوى And for every person is what he intends فمن كانت هجرته إلى الله ورسوله So whoever's hijra is towards Allah and his messenger فهجرته إلى الله ورسوله So his hijra is to Allah and his messenger. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا And whoever's hijrah is for dunya, which he tries to attain, أو امرأةٍ يتزوجها Or a woman he wishes to marry, فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَجْرَ إِلَيْهِ So his hijrah is to that which he has immigrated to. This hadith is similar to what we learned at the beginning of this book. However, you can see a slight difference in the text. How? We learned earlier, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ Over here, what do we read? بِالنِّيَّةِ Scholars have said that what this means is that actions are different. الْأَعْمَالُ Actions are of different, different types. However, the intention has to be one and same. النِّيَّةِ You understand? Actions are of different, different types. But your intention should be the same. And which is? For Allah. إِخْلَاص لِلَّهِ Okay, so إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ Only one intention. That is what is acceptable. Any other intention, not acceptable. So إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ There is also a difference in أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَتَزَوَّجُهَا Earlier we have learned يَنْكِحُهَا So what do we learn in this hadith? That when a person does something, then his reward will be according to his intention, according to his expectation. In this hadith in particular, we learned that the reward will be according to the intention. In the second hadith, we learned that the reward is according to the expectation. حَدَّثَنَا حَجَّاجُ بْنُ مِنْ هَالٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا شُعْبَةُ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي عَدِيُّ بْنُ سَابِتٍ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنَ يَزِيدَ عَنْ أَبِي مَسْعُودٍ عَنْ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ إِذَا أَنْفَقَ الرَّجُلُ When a man spends عَلَى أَهْلِهِ upon his family يَحْتَسِبُهَا He expects it, meaning the reward. فَهُوَ لَهُ So it is for him صَدَقَةٌ A charity. Meaning when a person spends on his family expecting reward for it from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then that action becomes what? Charity. صَدَقَةٌ That spending on the family becomes صَدَقَةٌ نَفَقَةٌ Expenditure. إِذَا أَنْفَقَ الرَّجِلُ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ نَفَقَةٌ What is it? 
all expenditures are included in this. Those that are wajib on a person, those that are an obligation on a person, as well as, as well as any other expenditure. But over here in particular, we see that when a person spends on his family, spending on the family is what? It is an obligation. But we see here that performing an obligation even can bring reward to a person when he meets the condition. And what is that condition? That he expects reward from Allah. So, there are some actions which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us for which we have to have the right intention. For example, when you're praying salah, when you're spending in the way of Allah, when you're giving the zakat, when you're doing dhikr, you're doing it, you have to do it with the right intention. What is the right intention? That you're not doing it to show off, but you're doing it to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are other actions which are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also told us to do them. However, the society also dictates that on us. For example, spending on the family. When you spend on the family, this action also you can make righteous. How? By hoping for reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By expecting reward from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even that action can become rewardable. So, the reward depends on what? Two things. Intention and expectation. Intention and expectation. Okay, you're doing it just to make your family happy. Is it complete? Reason? Is it a good enough reason? It is a good reason, but it's not really what makes the reason perfect. It should be to hope reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, okay, you will make them happy, they're happy, but then what? But then what? But if you expect reward from Allah, then the benefit is much more. And if they're not happy, you will stop spending on them. But if you're hoping for reward from Allah, then whether they're happy or they're not, they're thankful or they're not, you're going to do it anyway. That a believer is the one who will spend on his family hoping reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and other people, they don't do it. For the sake of Allah, expecting for reward from Allah. This is the difference between the spending of a believer and the spending of a non-believer. Um, when you spend for the sake of Allah, uh, Allah multiplies it 700 times. But your family will not multiply their happiness for you for 700 times. Yes. Also, one more thing that we see here is that spending on one's family is better than spending on who? Others. It doesn't mean that spending on others is not good. Of course, it's very good. It is sadaqa. It is tatawwur. However, spending on the family is much better. Why? Because you're giving their haq and at the same time, you're getting reward for it. It's like sadaqah. But if a person only gives to a poor person, okay, he's giving it to a poor person, what benefit does that give? Only the benefit of sadaqah. And also remember that performing wajib, performing that which is mandatory on a person is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than performing tatawwur, than performing voluntary deeds. What do we think? Deprive our family and spend on the poor and the needy. This is what we think righteousness is. No. It's better that you spend on your family. I'm not saying neglect the poor and the needy. Give them as well. Right? This is, this is the general rule. However, when you can only spend on either your family or the poor, then who are you supposed to spend on? Your family first. Because that will get you double reward. And we learn from the Hadith Qudsi that a person draws closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by which deeds? The deeds that are most beloved to Allah, which are the fara'id. And then when he performs the extra voluntary deeds, then he comes even closer. However, what's better? 
the fara'id, the obligations. So never compromise on your obligations. Needs and wants, luxury, I mean, there's no limit to the luxury, isn't it? So you, you have to maintain a balance. Rajal has been said over here because it's the man's duty to spend on the family. However, if a woman is also earning and she's spending on her family, this is also sadaqa on her part. Yahtasibuha, that's the condition, expecting for a reward from Allah. So for example, the husband brings in the money, you go buy the groceries, you come and cook. Okay, the man started it, but you're a part of it. So your buying groceries and your cooking and your cleaning and your feeding, if you expect reward from Allah for that, that is also a sadaqah. Kids, they want many things from them. And of course, for the tarbiyah, you, you need to teach them the meaning of no as well. Like everything, they can't get it. But if you have this intention that this is a sadaqah from me because I'm just giving them, they want something, or they want to enjoy something. So that could come in this category too. Yeah, sometimes you're letting your children enjoy it. There is no harm in that. As long as it's within reasonable bounds and limits, it's harmless. And in fact, it should be done. Okay, if children want something once in a while, then there is no harm in giving it to them. Okay, treat them. Make the intention that you're doing it for the sake of Allah, and then later, is it wasted, or can you make the intention later when you remember and say, ask Allah to accept that deed? Okay, so you're doing something and you don't have that intention in your mind active. You don't have it active in your mind, then is are you going to get the reward or not? The thing is that when a believer does something good, for example, you're praying salah, you're, you're giving sadaqah. In the back of your mind, you are doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not humanly possible that you have the intention active in your mind all the time. You're not programmed to behave that way. Because we're human beings and we develop habits. Okay? When we develop habits, our mind is not you know, active as much. However, it doesn't mean that we completely disregard the intention and we don't worry about it at all. No, we should keep questioning ourselves, keep asking ourselves. Okay? Let's continue. حدثنا الحكم بن نافع قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال حدثني عامر بن سعد عن سعد بن أبي وقاص أنه أخبره أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إنك indeed you لن تنفق نفقة you will never spend any نفقة any expenditure تبتغي بها that you seek through it وجه الله the face of Allah إِلَّا except أُجِرْتَ عَلَيْهَا You will be rewarded for it. حَتَّى even مَا تَجْعَلُ What you place, what you put. في in في mouth of امرأتك your wife. You will not spend anything hmm, by which you seek the face of Allah, reward from Allah, except that you will be rewarded for it. So in other words, anything that you spend, anything at all, but you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's reward for it, then you will be given reward. It will be sadaqah. Even the food that you give to your family. Notice the word nafaqatan. Nafaqatan is nakira. So this includes all expenditures of a person. All of them. What you spend on your tuition, what you spend on your clothes, what you spend on your children, what you spend on their fees, what you spend on your gas, what you spend on your bills. Everything is included in this. We think if we're going to an Islamic institute and the fees that we're paying, only that is you know, something good. But even the food that you're buying and the clothes that you're buying and the bills that you're taking care of, every single expenditure of yours, obviously it has to be halal. Every single expenditure of yours, if you spend that money, 
seeking reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will definitely be rewarded for it. إِلَّا أُجِرْتَ عَلَيْهَا You will be rewarded for it. But what's the condition? What's the condition? تَبْتَغِي بِهَا وَجْهَ اللَّهِ That is the condition. Because many times when, when we have to pay the fees or when we have to you know, take care of our bills, we're like, you know, what is this? Since I've had kids or since I've moved here or since I've started this, so many bills... No, this is a part of life, and if you're doing it for the sake of Allah, you're even you're actually getting rewarded for it. A person might think, before when I was not going here, before when I was not studying this, I would have this much money left every single month. I could save. Now, I cannot even save. But think about it this way. You're investing this in the akhirah. By asking him your need, that this way you can earn reward. Instead of complaining here and there, remind him a sweet reminder that whatever you're spending on me, actually you are doing a sadaqah. So next time you want something, ask him, would you like to get, give some sadaqah? Let's go shopping. <laughs> go ahead. Every expenditure that yes. you, every action that you do, if you have this intention of seeking the wajhata, inshallah you'll be rewarded for yes. it. That this shows that every action should be purposeful. Not that we're spending here randomly, spending there randomly, you know, without even thinking. No, every action should be done for a reason. Of course, yeah. and the chores around the house, they become easier. Because if you're thinking, I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, may Allah reward me for the time I'm putting into this, for the energy that is being spent in this, then inshallah you'll be rewarded. That the actions are not the end, they're rather the means. The end, the goal is wajhallah. So don't get stuck in the means. Oh, this is too much, this is too difficult. Or that we like it too much that we forget wajhallah and we just get lost in our laundering and cleaning and shopping. The fact that you're pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you're doing it for your family, because this is one of your things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. I said, you look at it that way and you will enjoy doing it and it will get finished faster mm-hmm. because you have an intention that I want to do something else and then you want to do something for the, for the sake of Allah. You're doing everything for the children and family, but it's for Allah. If you look at it that way, like some of them say, I would hate cooking. I said, don't say that. Say you're doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you're feeding your family, which is your haq. Yes. You know? So just take it that way. Don't oh. complain. Of course. And we see that the example that is given over here is of the food, the morsel of food that a man gives to his wife that he puts in her mouth. Huh? Why is this said? Because when a person puts a morsel of food in the mouth of the other, okay, this is especially between husband and wife, this increases love. But this does not mean that if husband wants reward, then he has to give every morsel. He has to feed his wife like a child. Otherwise, he will not get the reward. No. What it means is every Morsel of food, meaning every little bit, every little bit that you spend on your family, you are rewarded for it. And if you go the extra step that you actually take the food and you feed that as well, that will bring you more reward. And then we learn about the iman and we are going ahead, ahead, ahead. And now it's the expectation. Does it mean that the, why the reason uh, this hadith is here, that only having niya is one thing. But expecting is something more. It means the more you have iman, then then it means just making the eyes a small thing. Then you're expecting, you have more yakin that, oh Allah, I expect it from you. So does it something to mean with the iman? The here one iman level, and yeah, then the thing when is you that, start expecting. The thing is that iman is like the foundation, and on the basis of that is the correct intention, and on the basis of that is expectation of reward as well. And the thing is that expecting reward is necessary. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous, right? He is a shakur, He is the one who is very, very appreciative. So when He appreciates so much, and when He is so generous, then we should also hope for a reward from Him and not other people. So this is founded on iman. Okay? It's a result of iman. 
And then also it's important that we expect reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because uh, Allah is the only one who can give reward. Other people, they cannot give that reward. Only Allah can. And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I am as my servant thinks I am. I am as my servant thinks I am. If you expect reward, that Allah will not disappoint you. If you want more, He will not disappoint you. But if you expect that, oh, my deeds will be wasted and they will, nothing will be given to me, then Allah is as you expect Him to be. Yes, some people are more conscious about it. Okay? They desire it more. And other people are not that conscious about it. And this is again founded on Iman. If a person has more Iman, he knows about the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared, then he desires it even more. The more interested a person is in the reward, he will desire it. And the thing is that your action is also according to your expectation. If you expect more reward, then you will do more. If you expect better reward, you will perform better. The women who are ungrateful, that a man will do ihsan on her for ad-dahr, and then she will say, I have never seen anything good from you. And she forgets that he is the one who brings the money, he is the one who brings the food, and that is what we eat, and that is what we grow on, and we waste all of his ihsan. And we don't look at it that every expenditure of his is sadaqah. He is getting rewarded for it, and we completely nullify that as if he did nothing. Wasted. Thinking it is such a mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever we spend is what basically He has given us. And then He's making that a means of seeking wajhallah. You know, we're completely enveloped in His mercy for gaining something that He has given to us in the first place. That He is the one who gives us, then He is the one who gives us tawfiq, and on top of that, He is the one who gives reward as well. This is how generous He is. These are the chances that are available for us to excel, but still... Those who are negative, what will they say? There is no hope for me. There is hope for everyone, as long as you want it. So in these ahadiths, what do we see? That for every action, every action that we do, even if it's spending money, even if it's performing an obligation, we should do it with the right intention and also with good expectation. Expecting reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hoping for it. Inshallah, we'll conclude over here. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته